I got close a time or two, but uh, oh well. Proverbs chapter 23, that's where we're at, and we pick up in verse number 6 tonight. Proverbs 23 and verse number 6. As I said at the beginning of this chapter, wow, it, uh, it just kind of changes from one subject to another every few uh, verses, but uh, all of it is something that we, we need, and it's designed that way by the Lord intentionally. He knew exactly what we need and at what point we need it. We've already we started out in the first part of this chapter talking about uh, appetite. And, uh, and by that, and I hope I made myself clear, by appetite I was not just talking about the matter of our intake of food or desire for food. I was talking about the matter of self-control. And it's real easy for somebody, you know, to... Uh, to be critical of someone that might eat too much, but, you know, hey, maybe they gossip too much, you know. So there's a lot of different ways that we can fail in regards to self-control, and the Bible has a lot to say about that. And we talked about it. The next thing we talked about were riches. And, uh, you know, and I don't need to tell you that that is a great danger there because of the fact the love of money is the root of all evil, and so it involves more than riches. It'd be unfair to just label that section about riches uh, without considering the aspect of our attitude toward riches, and we can violate that same principle, whether we're talking about things that are of great wealth or things that are not necessarily uh, of great wealth, but just things that we desire Uh, to the extreme, and so it covers all of that. Well, tonight, the subject matter of this section, beginning in verse 6 down through verse number 9, I think uh, basically deals with the matter of separation, and I think that'll be clear as we move along. Verse number 6, Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, and neither desire thou his dainty meats. That phrase, evil eye, is usually taken in reference to someone that is jealous or envious. And in order to really understand that, we've got to move right on to the next verse because that's going to make it clear. Uh, But let me say this before we do. Whenever we think about separation, there was a time, in fact, back whenever I became a Christian, it was common to hear preachers talk about the matter of separation, how that we as believers are to be separated from the world. That doesn't mean we don't love people. It doesn't mean we're not trying to reach people. It doesn't mean we think we're better than people. It's just simply the fact that God commands us, as he says, to come out from among them. We are to be a different people. Your closest friends should not be the people of the world. Your closest friends ought to be fellow believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason that is so important is because uh, uh, our company affects our behavior. And uh, now notice what he says, verse 7. He's going to explain. For... Now, that ties it together with what he just said. Eat not the bread of him that hath an evil eye. Don't desire his dainty meats. For, this is a reason, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. 
Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart's not with thee. I've looked that verse over uh, quite a bit, and I, I think the idea here is that he offers you food and he appears to welcome you. Notice, as, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And notice what he says. He says, eat and drink, uh, but his heart is not with thee. It's, it's, it's kind of like somebody inviting you for supper and watching every bite you eat and begrudging the fact that you're consuming their goods. And, and you know, we, we think that doesn't happen. Listen, it happens in different ways all of the time. People that do something that's supposedly a favor, something that, the, that they do that's an expression of kindness, supposedly, but they do it with great resentment in their heart. They pretend they care when they don't. And let me tell you, you're better off to stay away from people like that. When they just pretend because all they're trying to do is to use you in some way. These guys that Rick and John and others of you that have been involved in dealing with people out here in the business world, you know exactly what I mean. I mean, it's almost like politics sometimes. You got these people coming into the office and they want this and they want that, but they don't come right out and say, I want this or that. They're going to do what they can to impress you, first of all, because they want to get in your pocket and get what you've got. Well, look, it's not just money people are interested in. They want to use you in various ways. It might be by way of a promotion in an office or whatever it is. But whenever you see someone described like this, somebody that, that you know, has the, the evil eye, somebody that's jealous and envious, and then they turn around, you see what their character is. It's obvious. And then they turn around, and pretend to be concerned about you, don't fall into that trap. And I say that because uh, because just about every teenage girl at some point in time has got some hairy-legged dude that that is going to use that tactic, pretending he cares. And he, whenever he says, oh, I love you, what he really means is, oh, I really want to use you. That's all that he means. And so we, we best follow the principles of God's word and it'll save a lot of heartache. Verse number eight, the morsel which thou hast eaten shall thou vomit up and lose thy sweet words. I, 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 the best I can understand from this is another way of saying that whenever you ignore this counsel here and you go ahead and, and do it anyway, that it's going to end up in disgust. Uh, that you eat the morsel, and you know, it might taste good, it might look good, but ultimately uh, you'll not be able to enjoy it or to derive the benefit from it that, that, that normally you would, all because of the spirit in which it was given. And um, it's just like asking somebody to do something for you and they do it and you know they don't. I think probably maybe my wife is the... I use the word worst in a good way, but the worst I ever, I've ever known like that, if boy, if she gets the slightest inkling that you don't want to do something, if I don't want to do something uh, for her, 
you better believe she she doesn't want me to do it. She, you know, you can just forget about doing it because you know if you're going to do something and resent it, don't do it at all. So certain people that we need to stay away from, and and and, and this is it. Speak not in the ears of a fool. So we're still on this theme of staying away from certain people. Speak not in the ears of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of thy words. And, you know, that's exactly what Jesus taught, right? Remember when Jesus, over the book of Matthew, said, Cast not your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Now, the word dogs here and the word swine are both words that are used to describe unsaved people. And by that, it's talking about people that have no appreciation for spiritual matters. And by the way, that's that's where we all were before we were saved. And, uh, you know, and, and so that's the reason that he uses this reference here. And he's telling us that we need not cast things that are holy before those that are going to show contempt. Let me put it this way, as I've often done. All truth is not appropriate for all people. They're not ready for it. That, that, that's kind of like going out here and, uh, and picking fruit before it's ripe. It, it doesn't work, you know. You've got to wait till it's ripe and you pick it. And uh, several years ago, it was very common in, in some of the evangelism schools across the country, and certain names come to my mind about their soul-winning clinics and they did, in my opinion, much more harm than they did good because they were of the opinion that all you had to do is in some way, you know, get somebody to make a profession of faith and that was just as good, you know, for them truly being saved. We had a lot of people making false professions of faith because they, they didn't have a clue. And it kind of went something like this, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't get, this guy, for example, maybe to respond to your expression of the gospel and you talk to him about, no, not interested, but you get ready to go and it's good. Well, could I have a word of prayer before we go? Would you take my hand, brother? And so they're standing there holding hands and and uh, and, and the preacher is praying. And uh, so the next thing is he gets ready to end his prayer uh, and you, he would say something like, now, dear, dear brother, you do believe Jesus come into the world, right, don't you? And yeah, yeah, I do. And you, you surely don't want to go to hell, do you? Uh, well, you know, anybody's going to say no. I don't want to go to hell. Well, if you believe the Lord, you know, came down to earth and died, and you don't want to go to hell, uh, you know, and, and they convince them that they're really saved. That listen. I'm telling you, there are people that are as lost as a billy goat. They're not ready to hear certain things. Now, the gospel is always appropriate. Don't misunderstand me when I say that. But there are a lot of people we try to convince to live like a Christian before they become a Christian, and you don't need to get off on all of that stuff, you know. Well, you know if you're going to become a Christian, you've got to quit this and quit that and start this and start that and so forth. That's not appropriate for them. And there are a lot of times in you're dealing with people and you're trying to convince them. Uh, uh, well, I, I can think of so many different examples, and I don't want to get too sidetracked. 
but there's so many different issues and things that, you know, I might be convinced in my heart that something is wrong, and you're, you're not at all convinced. And, and for me to set out on a mission trying to convince you uh, is, is futile because, listen, if the Holy Spirit can't convict somebody and convince them of their sinfulness, I sure can't do it. And there's no need for me to try to argue. A lot of times, these people that have certain convictions different than yours, and you think they're weird, they're they're maybe weird, they're too strict, they're legalistic, and what have you. Let me let me just throw this out. It just might be they're more spiritual than you are. It just might be that they have matured spiritually to where they recognize the wrong in those things. So don't dismiss them so quickly. And, and if you're on the other end, and here you are one of those that, at least in your mind, you're one of those super saints. You're super spiritual, and you got it all figured out. And boy, you don't believe you ought to do this, and you've got your whole list of rules that we all ought to live by. Stop trying to, 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 uh, to pressure other people into following your rules. You might be right on those issues, but there's a time and a place to approach people with certain truths. And, 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 and by the way, when somebody's going to mock you, uh, for example, you might be talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and the thing most precious to us, the fact that he shed his blood and died on the cross. If they're going to mock you, you're better off to just wipe your feet and turn around and leave and pray for those people that God will deal with them and open their heart. And then, like I said a while ago uh, to Crystal, don't give up on those kind of people. Keep praying for them. Take advantage of the opportunities that you have, but don't try to force it on them because what happens is you'll end up doing more harm than good. Well, we go to another subject now here in verse number 10, verse 10, 11, and 12. And the subject turns to this matter of respect for others. And he starts out by saying, Remove not the old landmark, and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. Now, we've already talked about the first part of this in the last chapter. Chapter 22 and verse number 28, we studied about these landmarks. But notice here, the second part of this verse gives us an example of the principle that was taught in the first part, he says, don't remove the old landmarks. And notice why. And he says, and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. Uh, and, and the whole point there is that we shouldn't take advantage of those who are unable to to defend their rights. And, and, and you go through the Bible and you consider the widows and the orphans, for example, and what a special place they have in the heart of God. And we are to respect widows and orphans and, uh, and, and certainly to treat them right in, in, you know, in, in order to win God's favor. Now, when he talks about removing the landmarks, that's the property line, by the way. And uh, why would you do that? Well, it's, it's happened more than you can imagine that somebody would move a fence post or an entire fence, and as and it goes unnoticed maybe for years, and then all of a sudden it's too late to do anything about it. They've just claimed a part of your property, and you're not going to get it back. 
Now, the whole idea here is he's talking about taking advantage of those that can't help themselves. The old man died. There's the, there's the woman and the kids, and she, she doesn't know what's going on. You go out and move the landmarks, and then you go out in the field, and you reap the harvest that the old dead man planted or something like that. You're taking advantage of them. And he's simply reminding us that we need to respect people enough to not do that. Uh, verse 11, for the Redeemer is mighty, he shall... Now, it gets serious now, listen. The, the Redeemer is mighty, he shall plead their cause with thee. Whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> it, 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 that's serious business. I, I often refer to, you know, to that verse the prophet said, touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm and... And, and we always supply that to people, you know, keeping their hands off the preacher. Don't you better treat him with respect. You better, you better do him right. Let me tell you, that is just as true of all of God's children as it is the preacher. Uh, you, we better be careful about messing with God's people. I know they've got their faults. I know they might have done something that offended you. I realize, but listen. They're not your property. They belong to God, and you need to let God deal with that issue, and He will plead their cause. Verse 12, apply thine heart unto instruction and thine ears to the words of knowledge. Uh, in the old uh, old pulpit commentary that was written so many years ago, I think I found my first copy of it in an old bookstore uh, shortly after I was saved. And there was a comment in there on this. And here's what it says. It is submission of the affections to a higher law. It is the resignation of the will to a higher leading. It is the opening of the understanding to divine counsels. It is the realization on the one hand of dependence and need, and on the other, of the light, the wisdom, and the goodness which ever meet that need. So that's what he's talking about here whenever he says, apply your heart unto instruction and your ears to the words of knowledge. There's the whole point. The goal is to get the truth into your heart. Why? Because the truth shall set you free. The truth of God's Word, these things that we talk about every week here as we study through this book, the truth that you hear during Sunday school or, or the preaching service or whenever it is, when you sit down in the morning to read your Bible and you read the truth of God's Word, listen, the Bible is a living book. It is alive. It does stuff, and it will change you. But notice, that's the goal, to get the Word into your heart. But notice here as he speaks about applying your heart and notice, and thine ears to the Word of, uh, of knowledge. The ears, of course, are the gateway to the mind. Uh, we hear things, faith cometh by what? Hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Well, I, you know, I've, and, and here lately it's just really kind of nagged at me. I, I, I'm just really convinced. It's not, I'm not talking about just here, but I'm across the board in churches. We would be amazed if we knew how little people really listen 
to the messages every week. They're, they're just not tuned in. They've developed this knack of being able to sit there and look at you like they're listening and their mind is a million miles away. And I'm telling you, that is dangerous whenever you do that because God is going to deal with us on the basis of what we could have heard and we could have learned and, uh, and, and not just what we know. The ears are the gateway to the mind, and, and we, we need some lessons on learning, uh, learning to listen, for example. Well, why is that important? Because the mind is the gateway to the heart, and it's within our heart where all of the transactions involving our behavior take place. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It's what's going on in your heart that affects the manner in which you live your life. But it starts with the hearing of the ear and the absorption of God's word, the truth, into your heart. And that's the thing that changes us. That's the thing that enables us to have respect for other people. That's the thing that enables us going all the way back to our study to have temperance and what have you. And so that's why this is so very important. Now, I want to get through these next two verses because I believe that this relates to what we've been talking about. And uh, verse 13 and 14 deals with the matter of child discipline. And uh, notice in verse number 13, he says, Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Verse 14, Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and thou shalt deliver his soul from hell. Now there's three things here that I want you to notice. First of all, notice the, the decree that is made in verse 13 and 14. Withhold not correction. And verse 14, Thou shalt beat him. There are two decrees that are issued here. And I realize there is a lot of controversy about this matter, but God's Word is extremely clear about what we ought to do in regards to our children. And throughout this chapter, we've been talking about what? In some form or another, we've been talking about the matter of controlling ourself all through here. And, and, and these verses tells us where that has to start, or where it should start, and that is with the parents. And the parents have the responsibility to discipline their kids. Look, we can't neglect our children and then expect our children to live as they should. It's just not going to work. And somebody says, well, you know, I've got a, I've got a different idea about... Uh, uh, about child discipline and you know and you've got all these different theories and what have you about how it ought to be done and you can talk to Dr. Phil or this doctor or that doctor or whoever and and they'll tell you well you, you, you that's child abuse to spank your kids and all of that nonsense well it's just a matter of who you're going to believe are you going to believe God or are you going to believe what they say you see and you've got you've got to make that choice as a parent now, notice the device that is mentioned. The decree has been issued. Two things. Withhold not correction. God says, don't you do that. And, and thou shalt beat him. That's pretty strong language. I understand. But God said it, not me. That's the decree. Notice the device, though. And I think this is important. And that is 
rod. You know, there's several ways to discipline kids, and um, of course, we call this corporal punishment or a, a spanking. And there was a time whenever it was practiced in school, and, uh, and and by the way, the kids quickly learned if I get a spanking at school, I'm going to get another one when I get home because the parents supported that. I remember even up in junior high, uh, they they had they had the system set up to where the phys ed teacher, Coach Fraley. As old and feeble-minded as I'm getting, I still remember Coach Fraley because he's the guy that did all of the spanking, and he had a paddle about yay wide and about yay long with all of those holes in it, you know, hanging up down there. And, and whenever somebody did something wrong, you went to the principal's office, you know, and then you went straight on down to Mr. Fraley and it was bent over and grabbed your ankles, and he went to work on you. And when he got through spanking you, you knew you'd had a spanking. I don't remember ever, ever one time of any parent running down to the school crying child abuse and trying to in, in any way cause problems for the school because back then every parent realized it was essential for children to uh, to, to learn to respect uh, authority and uh, the means to best get that done was to spank them when they needed it. Now, uh, we think about the disastrous consequences, for example, uh, that 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 is developed out of this new philosophy that we shouldn't uh, spank our kids. We talk about the public schools a lot, and uh, boy, there's a lot of good public school teachers, wonderful, godly people, but I'm telling you, they have got a tough job. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd hate to be, nowadays, I'd hate to be a public school teacher or a cop. Uh, either one of those. Poor Jason, he's a cop, and, and Kristen, she's a, she's a school teacher, and that's a tough job because you know what the kid needs, and yet your hands are tied by way of, uh, of doing anything about it. But the parents ought to assume that responsibility. Now, surely you understand. Whenever he talks about beating the child, he's not talking about a brutal beating that would be child abuse. I think the best way to understand that, let me put it this way, a spanking ought to hurt, but it shouldn't harm. If it doesn't hurt, it's not going to do any good. When my daddy spanked me, he spanked me till I cry. You know, that, that was just the rule. He, he didn't quit until I tears come to my eyes. I remember mom, she could do that when I was real little, but after a while I got tough enough, you know, I'd, I'd try to laugh a while and then I couldn't laugh, uh, you know, and, but I wouldn't cry if mom did it. She said, well, wait till your daddy gets home. And he'd take off that old ranger belt, you know what I mean? The, the, the ranger style belt that he wore all of his life. And man, uh, he didn't, he didn't stop, but, I never was injured. I probably had some whelps and things like that, but I, I'm not a cripple because of that or anything like that. Uh, and, and that's spanking ought to hurt, but it should not. It should not in any way harm the child physically. Why? The intent is to correct. It's not to injure the child. You know, it's to correct the child. And that brings us to the third thing, and that's the deliverance that is ministered as a result of doing it God's way. And I want you to notice there's two things again that he mentions here. Verse 13, 
if we do it, do it right, do it out of love, I think every parent surely, you know, has, I hope you have, after you've spanked your children, that you've taken them into your arms and said, I know that hurt you, but and I know they don't believe it, but you say, it hurt me more than it hurt you. I didn't want to have to do that. But it's necessary because son, daughter, you, you know, you, you've just got to learn that kind of behavior is not acceptable. So you've got to reinforce your love with it. You can't just, and this is where my dad was a good man in a lot of ways, but he failed because, man, when he spanked me, there wasn't no love in it. It was all out of anger. I mean, he was mad and, uh, and, and I, I knew it. And there's been a few times that I've had to go to my kids afterwards and apologize, not for spanking them, but for spanking them with the wrong attitude. But notice notice how important this is. We do it right. We do it out of love. Verse 13, he shall not die. Verse 14, thou shalt deliver his soul from hell. So whenever we exercise discipline against our children and we do it firmly, we do it in the spirit of love, that is going to bring about the greatest good to the child. And notice when he says here that he deliver, deliver his soul from hell. That, that's the Hebrew word silo, which refers to death. And, and then the word soul refers to life. And back back in those days, death in a young person was considered to be a punishment for wickedness. Somebody died young, and everybody just assumed, well, you know, they died because they did something really horrible, terribly wrong, or, or they wouldn't have died so young in their life. And that's the way the people thought back then. And by the way, sin can bring death. There's not any mistake about that. Uh, but the whole idea here is that you put your child in the safest possible place physically whenever you correct them as you should. But it's not just a matter of putting them in a good, safe place physically, but notice the spiritual implication also here in verse 14, thou shalt deliver his soul from hell. And whenever you think about, you know, the death of someone even if you think of it in the terms their death is brought about by their wickedness or whatever, uh, keep in mind that it's God. He's the only one that has the power, the power of death. And so this brings the spiritual side into the matter. And, uh, of course, spiritual you know, rebellion against God would result in, uh, in God dealing with people, and that affects our children physically. It affects them spiritually. And, and so just to sum it all up, we're a whole lot better off doing it God's way. And for those of you that are young here and you're listening to this, you know, this, this preacher get up there and talk about how mom and dad ought to spank you more often, uh, let, let, me, let me tell you, I, and someday you'll understand, but it's for your good and it's, it's a demonstration of your parents' love and their obedience to God when they do what they would rather not do, and they spank you as a result of your rebellious attitude. So you ought to thank God for parents like that. And, and, and you know, it's been confirmed over and over again by, by troubled kids. 
and you, you begin to inquire whether it's a pastor or a counselor or whoever it is they're inquiring, might be in prison. Why in the world did you act the way you, you acted? Why did you do what you did? And, and, and it's re- documented over and over again. They said, because I never had parents that cared enough about me to correct me when I was wrong. They just let me go and let me do whatever I wanted to do. And you, you've heard kids say, you know, sometimes uh, maybe the parents say, you're just asking for a spanking. Let me tell you, that's a whole lot more true than what you ever dreamed. Because there are times that they want your attention one way or another. And they, when they know they're doing wrong and they watch you ignore it, believe me, sooner or later they're going to grow up to resent your unconcern about their welfare. So do them a favor. If they need a spanking, give them one. Old Bill Rice used to say you can spank a kid uh, safely one time every week, and if, they, if you don't know what it's for, they will. So that, I, I've never forgot that. That's some of the best advice I ever heard. Thank you so much for being here tonight, and uh, I, I hope we've said something that maybe will be of a help and a benefit or a blessing to you.